but you're going to pay around maybe £500 end to end if you have to go to tribunal, if you don't settle early. And, you know, with a law firm, you're looking at minimum £5,000. Welcome back to How I Built This, the podcast dedicated to telling the stories of Scottish tech companies and their successes. I'm Jack Stephen, and as always, we're brought to you by Cathcart Technology, Scottish technology recruitment experts. On today's episode of How I Built This, I'm joined by Danae Shell, who is the CEO and founder of Edinburgh Legal Tech Scale-Up, Vala. Danae, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I am well, and thank you so much for having me. No, it's great to, to have you on. Before we, we kind of delve into um, Vala in a bit more kind of detail, I noticed on your, your LinkedIn that you initially studied political science in America before coming over to Edinburgh. Yeah, yeah. I'm from Tennessee originally, and every picture that pops up in your head, every stereotype that popped up in your head there, when I said Tennessee, that is exactly where I'm from. Like, <laughs> like you know, the uh, the trailer parks, the moonshine, missing a few teeth. That is that is the part of Tennessee that I'm from. Yes, <laughs> amazing. And yeah, how did the the move to Edinburgh come about? So I studied political science as my undergraduate degree, but I also minored in computer science. And I was really interested in, what was it called at the time? E-government. Because I was kind of toying with the idea of a law degree. And um, political science in America is quite funny. That as a degree is almost like a marketing degree because you learn all about how to build political campaigns as well as learning about you know politics and government. So it was all mishmashed in there. But they had a great study abroad program, and I saw that Napier University had this international teledemocracy center, as, as it was called at the time. I mean, I'm betraying my age, but this was OG internet territory. This was <laughs> this was pre-blogger, for example. I just emailed them and said, "Hey, would you like an intern?" You know, I, I'm, you know, I, I was like a self-taught coder by that point. I was doing a political science degree. I was, you know interested in this e-government thing. And they were like, yeah, come on over. And so I came over, I did an internship with them. And then I was like, can I come back and like have a job? And they were like, yeah, come on back, do your master's with us, have a job. And then um, suddenly I lived in Edinburgh. (laughs) Nice. No, that's amazing. And how was that like moving across um, the other side of the world? Well, I often say that I clawed my way out of Tennessee. Um, (laughs) There's not many people from my area who leave. So I was very anxious to leave that particular area. But I I think the more traditional path would have been to go to California or New York, which both I had considered at one point. Moving to Edinburgh, it almost it felt like coming home. It was it's such a friendly, wonderful place, Scotland. And I instantly loved it here. And so it was it was daunting. Like I, I had no money, I had no network. I remember I, I think I lived off cheese and tomato sandwiches for like <laughs> for like the first year, but um but I loved it. No, I think it's um a great thing kind of moving away when you're younger. I actually studied in Milan for six months as part of my course. And again, I was quite hesitant about it, but the experience of it is amazing. Like it's just the best thing I've ever done, I'd say. So yeah, completely get where you're you're coming from with that. And yeah, you obviously, when you kind of got to Edinburgh, you you finished your master's and then it seemed like you worked across quite a few kind of disciplines like design, development, and then kind of fell into marketing or how did that come about? 
Yeah, it's. Um, I think I did the opposite career path to most people. <laughs> so, so I I learned to code. I, like I had an Apple IIe that was my first computer. My mima had got it in a garage sale, and she was literally she was like, "Well, Danae's smart, and maybe she'll like this." And suddenly, <laughs> I had this Apple IIe, and I was co- coding an Apple Basic. And then when I started working here, I was hired as software engineer but I was too opinionated to just be a software engineer. <laughs> and so I, I was getting involved in you know, the design of the pages. And, and really, as, as a software engineer, it's always been the means to the end, and the end being communicating with people. And that's really where I ended up um, in my career was website. Back in the day, you know, the only way that you could actually get out to people was to build it. You couldn't, like I said, Blogger didn't exist at the time. And that WordPress didn't exist at the time. So you had to just build it yourself. Whereas now, you know, it is very different. I just wanted to talk to people about the various things that I cared about and that they cared about. And that morphed from a software engineering role to a UX design role and then into a um, marketing role. And I've always worked in small startups or scaling startups. And so I always had the kind, you know, the kind of support from the organization to be like a multidisciplinary person. Yeah. Nice. And I think um, from kind of chats I've had on this podcast and obviously just speaking to people in the kind of tech community, it seems like you've got the people that do best in startups and scale-ups are the ones that can wear a few hats and aren't afraid to get their hands dirty and, and different things. And you kind of mentioned it there, you touched on it a bit in terms of the the scale-ups and startups that you worked with it seems like you've kind of worked with quite a few kind of successful ones yeah yeah I've been really lucky I remember so I was at Edinburgh Napier and working with them as part of my master's and then I stayed with them a little bit longer and one of my ex-colleagues had joined this tiny startup I think there were six people and um he actually first I persuaded him to give my then boyfriend um a chance and so he joined as a I think he was a product manager can't remember, something, BA product manager. And then they persuaded me to join. So I, now we were like an eight-person startup. And then that company got bought twice um, over the years. And so it grew from this tiny little um, kind of experimental company into part of a actuarial company that was transitioning from a consultancy to a fintech. And then they went on like rocket ship growth. And then that company was acquired by Moody's Analytics for about 50 million pounds. And then I joined Free Agent after that, which many people in Scotland will know about. And joined them very early marketing hire and left them after they had IPO'd just before they sold to Royal Bank of Scotland. Yeah. Nice. That's amazing. And yeah, obviously fast forward to, I think it was maybe summer 2019 is when you founded Vala. How long had you been thinking of doing that and like how long had the idea been in your head essentially? Not, so it was really interesting. Um, so my original co-founder, Kate and I, we had worked together at Free Agent. And I think we always knew that we were gonna start a company together. We just didn't know which company it was. Because Free Agent was amazing. It was like a little startup factory. The founders of Free Agent, they did this brilliant job of being super transparent about not just what we were doing, but why we had decided to do it that way. And so they they kind of educated this cohort who all kind of graduated from free agent at about the same time, 
who wanted to try it themselves. Yeah. And um, in, in you know, Kate and I were part of that cohort, although she had run a business before, but um, we were like, you know, I want, I very specifically said, I want to run a venture backed company. I want to start it from nothing, build it up and, you know, go through that experience, learn how you go and do that. And I'd done um, executive roles elsewhere that helped me get pieces of experience for that. So I knew I wanted to run a company and it was when it was personal experience that led us to create Vala itself. It was, you know, a lot of different horror stories from young women in particular who were dealing with some pretty terrible situations and this constant cycle of this terrible story. And then at the end of the story, it would just be like, so then she just left. Like that was always the end of the story. Yeah. And, you know, particularly as an American, I was like, but they have rights. <laughs> so honestly, Vala itself happened because we were just really pissed off. There was a lot more into it. I had just left um, Care Sourcer, which was a two-sided marketplace in the care industry. I was really starting to understand how to evaluate the dynamics of a market and the fragmentation and saw the opportunity in the legal market. So yeah, a few things came together and um, then anger ignited it. <laughs> That's really interesting. And obviously touching on um, summer 2019, nobody obviously knew what was kind of around the corner. I think I started my job here October 2019. And obviously I know how hard it was being in my first job. In that time, obviously, I think it was maybe February or March, we, the pandemic started. How was it? like in your first year running your first business and something like that happens? It was it was a really fascinating time because when, so summer 19 was when we started working on Vala. I had actually left my job at Care Sourcer because my grandmother had been diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. And I, I, I left to go live in America for a few months to spend as much time with her as I could. And that was when I did all the desk research for Vala, and I didn't work during that time period. My job was my Mima. Um, but when I came back to Edinburgh, I took on the managing director role of another startup, kind of half time, and Vala half times, so kind of bootstrapped that first year. And it was a um, it was a company called Entry Level Boss, and it was moving from a kind of influencer coach for graduates to get their first job moving into a book launch and a tech platform. So a coaching platform with um, you know, additional content and things like that. And I was helping her make that transition. And so when COVID hit, I remember really clearly, I was flying back from another visit to my grandmother and I can't sleep on the red eyes. And so I was reading in February all about this, this virus that you know had started in China and was becoming concerning. And by the time I landed, I sent an email to, um, the two other people in that company and said, there's going to be a lost generation. There is not going to be any graduations because we were anchoring around graduation and things like that. It's like, there's not going to be any graduations. This whole thing is about to pause. We're going to have at least six months of nobody in any school. We need to completely change our PR strategy for the launch of this book because the book was, the book was due to launch in like March, April that year. And so I just completely changed around the PR strategy. And actually that had worked really well because everybody wanted to talk about these kids who were graduating into a apocalypse, basically, like in terms of a job market. And so, yeah, I was, I was working on that, but at the same time, um, so we were launching that book, but at the same time, just as COVID hit, just as lockdown started, 
I had already been in conversations with Techstart Ventures um, from the year before because I'd spoken at Turing Fest in 2019. And I thought, I had a call in the books already with them the day after lockdown started or something like that. And I thought it was going to be, you know, okay, well, call me in six months. But instead they said, yeah, everything looks great. Let's start your round. We're in for half. And so I, I, I opened my, uh, my, invest, my pre-seed investment round in March 2020, <laughs> days after lockdown started. So I raised that entire first round on Zoom in those first days. It was, it was wild. Yeah, that's an amazing story. Yeah, especially in that, that time. Yeah, to, to be able to raise money in that is, is crazy. And obviously, having had a look through the platform and the kind of website and stuff, um, it seems like the whole kind of ethos of the company and you kind of touched on it is to to really stand up for people and and help people help the the little person to to kind of be heard almost i know care sourcer as well is very kind of much tech for good as well is that something you've kind of always been passionate about did you always kind of want to go down that that route yeah i've always i always say i like to use my powers for good you know as a marketer you can um, you can sell a lot of things you can sell sugar water you can sell um, really dangerous things. You can sell pretty, you know, banal things, or you can sell things that you think are making people's lives better. Free agent, you know, when you think about the frustration and the shame and the self-doubt people go through when they're managing their own finances, like that was that's what I'm really interested in, um, and I find myself constantly gravitating back towards is this this shame. This is this normal. This I don't know if I'm doing this right. How do I do this right? All that kind of stuff. Like if you look through my the blog that I created right in the early days of um, kind of professional blogging was all about bra sizing because that's a big self confidence issue for women, and then confidence with your finances, dealing with you know super fraught situation of finding care for someone you love, and then you know obviously all the legal issues. It, it seems to be the place that I, I always go towards. Yeah. No, I love that. And um I had a look on, on kind of LinkedIn as well and noticed your your kind of post um I think it was either from two or three weeks ago, basically reviewing twenty twenty three. Seems like it was a bit of a, a kind of roller coaster of a of a year from you, maybe not kind of starting out the best. Oh, it was it was wild. And and you know, twenty two wasn't easy. I, you know, every year I keep thinking like, I don't actually think that any year is going to be easier than the last when it comes to running a business. Yeah. <laughs> I knew it was going to be tough, but I didn't know the specifics of how tough it was going to be. Yeah. When we launched, when we started in 2023, we had launched the platform in April previous year. We were, you know, finding our way through product market fit. We were still in that just on the last few days of um, before the investment bubble just completely collapsed in um, kind of April-ish 2022. And then, you know, the whole investment landscape just changed overnight. And every assumption that we had made had to be revisited. And and then by the beginning of 2023, Kate had to go off and get a proper job. So I was on my own as a founder. Solo founders, you know, create a lot more risk for an investor looking at it. And I didn't have an executive team in place. I didn't have a new CTO even though I had Jeff had agreed to do it, I couldn't hire him yet because I didn't have any money. And and how do you persuade people to invest in a company that just lost its co-founder and isn't generating revenue? Like it's it was pretty dire. But at the same time, 
I we already had like evangelical Bala fans at that point, people that we had already supported. We already knew that it was really working and making a difference. And so, and and you know, there's a thing for startup founders. I'm sure all the founders you talk to have a similar experience. I could be spending my time on anything. I could. There's a lot of different companies that I can try and build. And sometimes the question you have to ask yourself is, is this the one? Is this the one that I'm willing to spend the sleepless nights on? Is, is it going to be worth it? it? Will the investors want to invest in this one or should I go find one that they'd be w- more willing to invest in? And, you know, I decided, no, this is the one. And so you just, you just slog your way through it. <laughs> yeah. No, and it, it seems like you've, you've turned it around as well, which I bet sitting here is, is, is definitely, yeah, it feels good. Yeah, it's, um, we're still, so we're still just finishing off some investment and I'll be opening up a crowdfunding round really to cap it off in the next few weeks. But the real changes that we made was, I think sometimes when you're really early stage, you can kind of get ahead of yourself when it comes to scale. And we all know, someone said recently, you know, we all know the phrase, do things that don't scale until you can do things that do. But they said, you know, that phrase really should be, you know, don't worry about scale until you've earned it. And I don't think we had really earned it yet with the work that we were doing with customers. And it was only when we started going back to, okay, how do we make one-to-one human appointments work in this kind of thing? Let's not just force them to use a platform. It was only when I kind of swallowed my pride a little bit and said, let's try these things that it, it took off. And from then, for the rest of the year, it was trying to keep up with that demand and the operations of facilitating that and then trying to figure out, well, how the hell do we scale this? Like this is this is just humans talking to each other with a, with a platform to facilitate it. And then that's, and we had some stuff in the platform that made the humans talking to each other easier, but it wasn't like it wasn't what it needed to be. And that's why we had to bring in, like Gen AI had just arrived. We have, we literally have one software engineer plus our CTO. That is our dev team. And so we were like, well, we're going to have to try this because we, we can't move fast enough the old fashioned way. And so started throwing Gen AI at the issues to see what we could use to speed up different parts of the process. And, and that worked really, really well. Yeah. Nice. No, it's, it's quite timely, actually, that having this conversation. I, I was at a Tech Trends um, meetup on Tuesday night and Richard Marshall was was talking at it. And one of the things he was talking about is that the way in which he predicts AI is going to be in, in every company is essentially like a support buddy almost. Yeah, it seems like the kind of AI function on your platform is is kind of, it, it does that function. Yeah, quite timely in, in terms of that. And I'm guessing that that kind of point was almost a risk, but you, you kind of went all in with that that kind of idea. Yeah, it was it was a risk. Um, it was quite a big one because we you're constantly balancing as a founder. How do I use the precious amount of time and resources that I have? How am I getting ready for the next round? What benchmarks am I aiming towards? Will that you know present a credible story? Will that put me on the path to break even? And and what do I want to do? What do I think the customers want? You know, you're constantly balancing those three circles. And 
And we were really struggling with the, what do the customers want and what does the market, the investment market want? And when we, Jeff, Jeff had jumped on my CTO, he had jumped on um, Gen AI really early to try it out. And to say that the rest of the team were skeptical about Gen AI would really be understating it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he, he, he took a fair amount of time to like persuade the rest of the team to even consider it. But when we finally jumped in, I was just like, we have to take this risk because the capital is gone. Like the, there is no capital to build the team that we would need to do this the old fashioned way. So it's either going to work like this or it's just not going to work. It's interesting to hear in these kind of situations where it's almost like make or break decisions. And you obviously kind of went with the one that it's obviously worked. So yeah, no, it's, it's great to hear. And just to, to kind of touch on as well, um, for those of who people that don't know, what do you mind giving over a kind of description of what the, the platform is and kind of what it does? Of course. So Vala is a self-representation platform for consumers. And we're working our way to being really the kind of foundational layer of all consumer law and delivery here in the UK. And the idea being just like at Free Agent, you know, if you wind back 10, 15 years, most people couldn't afford an accountant if they were, you know, a hairdresser, a taxi driver, self-employed, not like not IT contractors, but people who were um, not earning a lot of money. Whereas now almost everyone can have an accountant. And it's largely down to the fact that most of the work is done either by the platform or by the client. And the accountant just logs in and checks things over. So that's what we've done for the law. If And we're starting with employment law. And so if you have an issue at work, let's say you have unpaid wages, unfairly sacked, all kinds of things like that, you can do everything from document the problem, manage the case, keep all the paperwork together, to generating your grievance letter, some of the negotiation documents, your tribunal claim documents. And then you can top up with one-to-one -one advice from a legal professional. They can review your documents for you. You can book a one-hour call with them. And so you can kind of, you can do it yourself. You're in, you're in control. You don't get to hand it off. Like if we could all afford to just hand it all off to a lawyer, we would do that. But <laughs> nobody, nobody has 300 pounds an hour to pay a lawyer to take care of problems for us. So you control the problem, you drive the car, but we're right in that passenger seat with you, telling you how to turn, talking you through it, cheering you on. We have support groups. So we offer legal, emotional, and organizational support through the platform. Yeah. No, that's uh, amazing. And how, is there like a percentage of how much it reduced costs for as kind of single person? Do you know that? We're typically about 90% cheaper than a traditional law firm. So someone coming through Vala, let's say you kind of go end to end, you know, your first purchase might be a £10 template for a grievance letter, something like that. And as the complexity of the service grows, you'll be maybe paying you know, like 200 pounds to get someone to coach you through your hearing or something like that. But you're going to pay around maybe 500 pounds end to end if you have to go to tribunal, if you don't settle early. And, you know, with the law firm, you're looking at minimum 5,000 pounds. No, that's that's really interesting. And I love how the, the fact that you've obviously used your experience at Free Agent to almost 
kind of build um, Vala as well. And one thing I kind of wanted to touch on, which it seems like you've probably done quite a lot of, is is kind of pivoting and, and being quite adaptable to, to different situations. And with other founders, they've said the exact same thing, that how important it is. Um, and it seems like that's been kind of massively important for you as well. Yeah, I remember, um, so Kate was there for the first two years and when she's um, a product expert and I remember our first version of Vala, the mission has always been the same, make legal services accessible and affordable. But our first hypothesis was, what if we could make the law firms more efficient to help them move down market? And we built this data platform to help them answer questions faster and more accurately. We had this um, prototype and went out to market and nobody cared. <laughs> I like think it was, it was just a nice to have for the lawyers yeah. and they were polite, but nobody was biting their hand <laughs> off to get this thing. Thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah. And it was, it was Kate who called it and said, we're going to have to do something else. And I called it our planned existential crisis. It was <laughs> awful for me. And it was the first time I had to really experience this like hard pivot and it wasn't even that we knew, we didn't know what we needed to pivot into. We just knew that this wasn't working. And so we downed tools for two months and then went back and just reevaluated the entire legal market, talked to everybody that we could. We built this big market map to understand where was the value flowing through this market? Who were the major players? What were the major barriers and issues? And then we had this, you know, kind of like, oh, why haven't we just built free agent for the law? Which is essentially, you know, what Vala um, started out as. So yeah, it took us a while to get there, but um, some of those pivots are really painful. Yeah, no, I can uh, I can imagine. And um, yeah, you you obviously touched on it earlier about free agent almost teaching people to mm. to be kind of startup founders. Had you since you kind of graduated, had you always thought oh, I'm going to run my own business at some point, or was do you think it was that experience at free agent that that kind of made you want to? I don't think I would have had any problem running a business before free agent but free agent gave me the information and the confidence that i needed to think maybe i'd like to run a vc backed startup which you know is like the highest difficulty level that you can yeah. pick and i also um i was accepted onto this thing i can't remember what it was called it was a um women in tech development program that was specifically designed to bring more women into executive roles and onto boards. And they took us all around um, London and I believe Amsterdam and introduced us to all these women who were CEOs and NEDs and things like that. And the thing that really struck me as a middle manager and free agent was how the problems that they were solving were the same kinds of problems that I was solving. They were just doing it at a very different scale. And and that, sh like, that shocked me. It was like, wait, so wait, I could do, I could do this. <laughs> so that, that really then, then I was like, okay, I want to be a CEO. And then I went from there to, okay, what boxes do I need to tick to get some experience? And being a woman, I made too many boxes. I gave myself too many qualifying criteria when I probably could have jumped in a little bit earlier, but I went through um, a few more places before I am, um, I dove in. Yeah. And and how's it been? Obviously, you touched on that you you co-founded initially, kind of the, the two of you, and then obviously the last year you've been a kind of solo founder. How has the, the kind of whole experience been for you? You know, I sometimes when it's really tough, sometimes my husband will say, "He said, Danae, there's 
Like you would just do it again. <laughs> if it wasn't if it wasn't Vala, you would just do it again. It's yeah. it is probably it is a real exercise in understanding and managing yourself and controlling your your emotions, your panic, your energy, your creativity. It is I, I'm I'm not a parent, but it reminds me a lot of what people say parenting demands of them, where it doesn't matter if you don't have it in the tank because you've just got to give it anyway. And and learning how to actually do that and how to anticipate it and manage it and, you know, control the panic when you're like, oh God, I don't know if we're actually going to be able to do this right now and be able to work and be productive through that is, um, it's fascinating and really difficult and incredibly rewarding. And then the ability, which I've always loved as a manager to bring other people with you on that journey to help them expand into what they want to do with their careers to give them those you know, crazy big opportunities because you're just gonna, all going to try something new. I've always loved that part of um, being a manager or a leader. So I, I really love building that team and growing with my team. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And just to, to kind of touch on the, the Edinburgh tech community as well, I know it's you've something that you've been very kind of close to, obviously working in startups. I've obviously worked within the tech community now for four years. And even in that four years, it's come on kind of leaps and bounds. How have you kind of seen it change over the last, um, or since you kind of arrived in Edinburgh? I, I, since I arrived in Edinburgh, it's, it's night and day. It really is. I think the growth of, I think it was really important that we got FanDuel, Free Agent, and Skyscanner when we did, because you had these graduating classes of people staggered at different times who reinvested their time and their money back into the ecosystem. And that expertise, like you started to get real access to expertise and you know, you can't be what you can't see. So you started getting more role models coming out of the community and, and you combine that with some of the work that Codebase did and now they've massively enhanced that with TechScaler and some of the other people like Investing Women Angels created Accelerate Her, which is um, a boot camp and loads of free training for female founders. My first event as a female founder was an Accelerate Her event. It completely changed, you know, what I thought I could achieve. It was so useful. So I think those programs are really training the people who are going to be the inspiration for the next batch. And yeah, there's a real momentum now, which I think is just so exciting. I, I feel the exact same. And um, yeah, the support that everybody seems to give each other is is so good as well. From the, the kind of tech meetups you, you go to, like people offering each other advice and stuff. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see. And I noticed on your, your LinkedIn as well, I think it was maybe April 2023, um, you were appointed as an advisor to the Law Society of Scotland. How, yeah. how did that come about? You know, it's um, exactly as you just described. So Callum from Amicus, the CEO yeah. of Amicus, he, um, he's always been such a big supporter of Vala and we're very aligned in mission with Amicus. Um, they ended up in the kind of AML identity check space as our first kind of big market. But the, the founding purpose of Amicus and the founding purpose of Vala were identical. And, and he 
he said, I think you should be on this. The Law Society of Scotland are looking for people in law tech who can really help them shape their strategy. And so I joined and um, it's fascinating. It's so, especially because I've, I've done it with accountants. I wasn't an executive in that role, but because the executives were so open and transparent with, you know, how are we reshaping this industry? How do accountants feel about us? You know, I was part of the messaging team figuring out how do we make accountants not hate us? You know, all that kind of yeah. stuff. I really understood what the lawyers might be thinking about law tech in general and how you might go about helping them understand that actually tech isn't going to eat their lunch. It's going to expand their markets. So yeah, that, that's been really fascinating getting to kind of see both sides of that. And yeah, it's, it's really good fun. And are there a lot of the, the kind of Scottish law companies or the law companies in Scotland, have they been quite supportive of you like since stepping into that role as well? So I don't, um, so Shepherd and Wedderburn have always been incredibly supportive of Bala. There are lawyers, they were really interested even in that first product that nobody else cared about. Yeah. They've been really cool. And um, I know Thorntons and Sarah Blair and Thompsons, there've been a lot of really cool um, people. Sam Moore, you know, he was the, the first legal technologist in Scotland. He was super excited about what we're doing and actually Scotland is unique in that legal technologist accreditation. The Law Society of England and Wales doesn't have an equivalent. And that's a relative, I think it's only three years old, that accreditation. So they are, um, yeah, there's a lot of people excited about what it can be and who I think quite rightly want to see at the table to help shape it so that it doesn't become, you know, some like monster. <laughs> I know. Um, it's irresponsible because yeah. we all have a real duty of care to people to be able to understand their legal advice, legal rights and use them. Like this is, you know, it's not, it's not playing around. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I was at the, the tech trends thing that I mentioned from, from Tuesday night, that was actually hosted at Burness Paul's office oh, yeah. in Glasgow. And I know that they're big supporters as well. It seems like they're trying to kind of get involved in the kind of tech industry as much as possible so yeah it seems like a, a kind of good interest industry to be in and it seems to be going in the, the right direction and yeah you obviously touched on it earlier about kind of an investment am i right in saying your kind of first experience of investment or kind of raising money was actually at free agent with a, a kind of crowdfunding round yeah so um free agent decided to do an equity crowdfunding round with cedars it was i'm trying to remember i think they they were so it was so great from my perspective, because they ticked like every box. They did debt financing, they did VC, they did angel, they did equity, crowdfunding, and then they IPO'd. So I like, you know, people who work there got a, a taste of all of the different types of capitalization that you might go through as a startup. I was the content person basically at Free Agents who did all the emails and all the messaging and um, worked with my now CMO. Linda um, to kind of run those campaigns because of the, I think there were about 700 investors in free agent through the crowdfunding campaign. I think 600 of them were customers, just ordinary customers. Many of them only investing 10 pounds and many of them investing much more. They were really excited because free agent has evangelical customers as well, just like what we've built at Vala and they wanted to own a part of it and they wanted to see it success. So. I started with that. It was it was tough at the time. I thought it was really tough. Now that I've raised money in other ways, I'm like, well, I mean, it's not any harder than any of the other ways, to be honest. Yeah. 
But um, yeah, I'm glad I did it now that I'm doing it again through Cedars and for Valor. Yeah, no, that's that's great. And obviously the, the kind of economic climate at the moment, um, how tough has it been kind of raising investment in the last kind of 18 months? Apocalyptic. Like, it's, that's the only <laughs> word I can use to describe it. It's, it's, it's it, you know, it's funny because if you thought about it, if I thought about it very hard, I, you'd never get out of bed because, you know, what is it? One to 2% of all investment capital goes to women in the first place. And then you get a crash like the one that we did in 22. And you're just like, well, I mean, is there any hope really? And, and to layer on to that, I think the difficulty that the investment market has had with Vala is that I'm not a traditional B2B SaaS company. I I, I like I cannot <laughs> tell you how much I have tried to be a traditional B2B <laughs> SaaS company. That's where we started. It's just not what the market actually needs. The market needed someone to go in and build something that was so useful that a consumer would pay them for it. And then you could grow from there into bundling it into insurance products and selling it as a add-on to a law firm for additional revenue, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But I, we had to start with the hardest possible distribution model and the hardest possible commercial model, which was not even not even recurring revenue. Like every month we have to remake our revenue from zero because everything is consumer transactional. And to say that investors hated that is, again, a big understatement. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's been um, it's been a real slog to find the people who believe, despite the fact that it's B two C, despite the fact that nobody really understood legal tech. That's starting to change with Gen AI. There's a big you know surge in interest in legal tech because they see the disruptive ability. But I think we've just I think we're just coming out of that because now that we've built the platform, customers love it. Now we're able to lay on some of those additional, more traditional channels like selling it into an insurance company and things like that. And now investors are getting excited. Good. No, that's amazing to hear. And um, you touched on it earlier as well around the um, kind of crowdfunding. I think, did you say it's going to kick off next month? I think it's going to launch. We're just finishing off. I think our pre-launch might get announced at the very end of January. And then the, the proper crowdfunding campaign will run across February. Yeah. Cool. No, that's good. So it might, this might... I think the podcast will probably be released within the next kind of week or so. So it might just oh, be a little exciting. bit, a bit of a, an exclusive with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you've got it. You've heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, good, good. Yeah, you, you kind of touched on earlier that you're starting with employment law. Do you mm. see um, it obviously kind of moving into different areas of law as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's so okay. I'm going to try not to geek out too much, but it's it's <laughs> so fascinating because Please you know do. when you when you think about the law, right? It just feels so impossible to turn into a product because it's so subjective and all this other stuff. But one of the things I just loved, like really digging into the product in the last couple of years, is this emerging pattern of how you can really genuinely help people through any legal problem, not just employment. And you really see it in employment because if you imagine something terrible happens at work, you want to do something about it. You have no idea where to start. You Maybe you start trying to go through the process. What people end up doing is they end up, I call them like, you know, like a, an emotional vomit email or an emotional vomit tribunal claim where they just list everything that happened to them that, that has been terrible. And 
that is exactly what you don't want to do if you're trying to build a strong legal case. What you want to do is translate what happened to you into a very specific set of claims. And then you want to understand what the tests are for those claims. Like, you know, if, if I think it's victimization, there's three tests that I have to pass. Let me look at my situation and see if they pass those three tests. And if so, you are in so much stronger ground. That's, that's not just for employment. That's common across a tenant who can't get their landlord to get rid of the damp in their flat or, you know, somebody who's been messed about by a trader who then just disappeared on them and ghosted them. Like all of those go from, I have been aggrieved, this is terrible, through this translation process into a claim with a specific citation that then has to be backed up to pass the legal tests. And that's what we've built. We've built a platform that allows people to work through that process and come out with something at the end that is a good case, not just an emotional document, if that makes yeah, sense. Definitely makes sense. And it's yeah, fascinating to hear. And I love how it, it kind of comes back to the, what I mentioned earlier about kind of bringing the power back to the, the little person almost. Yes. Um, so no, I absolutely love that. We've touched on it about what's kind of to come. Um, is there anything else kind of looking out for in the next, in 2024, what kind of Valor are going to be doing? Yeah, so we definitely are going to be looking to partner with more people so that we're able to get the word out. You'll see me more in PR stuff because I want to, um, I want more people to hear about what we're up to. Yeah, The big stuff that we'll be investing in is continuing to develop that Gen AI side of the platform. Right now, the user doesn't see it. They benefit from it, but they don't get to see any of the output because what we're using Gen AI for right now is we're taking everything that the user uploads when we, that we ask for and we're summarizing it and turning it into a big case chronology and then wrapping that up in a bow so that a lawyer can spend a very small amount of time to get a really good understanding of the case and then give him yeah. advice. Okay. But what, what we want to move to is an even lower priced product where if they still can't afford that, maybe they can work with the Gen AI part of the platform to collaborate and understand and diagnose the problem themselves. And so, yeah, I'm really excited about that because to me, it's this market is wild. Literally, the top 10% of the market is the only part of the consumer legal market that is properly met with supply. If you are in £60,000 or above, you're fine to get a lawyer. If you're below £60,000, which is 90% of UK consumers, you have terrible options. So Vala is literally filling in every single stage of those price points, like the £10 option, the £100 option, the £500 option. So um, yeah, we actually have quite a big suite of products to try and fill that massive gap so that you know everybody has something that they can do to progress it, even if they don't have all the money in the world. Yeah. No, that's that's great to hear. And yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a, a really exciting kind of year coming up for you. So um, I can't wait. Yeah. In terms of keeping in touch and, and keeping up to date with everything that's going on, is LinkedIn the, the kind of best place? Yeah. If you want the behind the scenes, um, follow me on LinkedIn. If you want, if you want to kind of know what we can do for people and if, if you want some help, TikTok is the best place where vala.uk you join about 100,000 people who follow us on there. And um, 
we do a lot of weekly lives and things like that. It's quite fun. It's a really fun community. I noticed that you uh, on your LinkedIn as well that I think it was you and um, Rob were doing a, a talk on how to get a hundred thousand. <laughs> TikTok followers. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other podcast episode. Like, I could geek out. I could geek out about TikTok for ages as well. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another podcast. But no, it's been it's been great to chat. Thank you so much for for taking the time. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Thanks very much for listening to How I Built This, brought to you by Cathcart Technology, Scotland's technology recruitment experts. Whatever platform you're listening on, please click the follow button and share the podcast with anyone you think would be interested in listening. If you're a tech leader in Scotland and want to share your story, then please don't hesitate to get in touch. If you work within the tech sector and are looking for a job or looking for some help growing your tech team, then please get in touch with me, Jack Stephen, or follow us on our socials, Cathcart Technology, or via our website, cathcarttechnology.com.